Welcome back, everybody, to PWG's Well Chat podcast, the educational series that we want you to take tidbits from this that appeal to you. But please don't make any changes without checking in with your healthcare provider slash team. Okay. Yep. These are educational, but hopefully super helpful. Hopefully. That is our hope. Uh, now, this is exercise part de, part dos, <laughs> part two. Part do the second one, <laughs> the second <laughs> one, we we had a whole bunch of really good stuff in the first one, but there were other things that we wanted to talk about. We Quick. didn't quite get to Correct. finish the shocking. Okay. Yes, because we go off on <laughs> tangents that seem interesting. We hope you find them interesting. But you now know a dirty little secret about my middle school years, so just be kind. Well, we get asked to write notes for kids to get out of PE all the time, especially swimming. Well, I never, to be clear, I never got those notes. I just wanted them. <laughs> Let's just be clear about that. Okay. Okay. So okay. exercise, we know it's good for you. We know it's important. There's a lot of benefits, yada, yada, yada. And we, we were talking about the different kinds of physical yes. activity. In episode seven, we talked about aerobic activity and muscle strengthening or strength training and the last thing uh in the realm the third thing in the realm of physical activity is bone strengthening physical activity and why is that important it's important because children young uh young uh prepubertal pubertal we're talking about adolescents those are the main times that you get your bones stronger that's when your body is using vitamin d utilizing calcium. calcium. Yep. That's why it's so important. We talked about that in our nutrition segment. That's when your bones are going to get nice and strong and dense, and you're going to decrease your risk of osteoporosis and being one of the poor bent over people in your, in your old age. So this is the time to build what we call your bone bank. You can make lots of deposits of calcium now. I sometimes like to tell my teenagers, do you want bones that are like styrofoam or do you want bones that are like like cement, right? Well, and so it's in, what's the other piece of this is really important that I will talk about is, you know, back in the day when a 80-year-old broke their hip, that was a significant life-threatening event because it it wasn't, a lot of times it just wasn't going to end well because if you have bones like styrofoam, it sets off a whole bunch of other bad things that are going to happen. But if you have a bone that's like cement that's really strong the chances that you're going to break your hip are much smaller and you're going to be able to continue to do the things that you want to do when you get older. So uh, I love that analogy of styrofoam versus cement. That's a good analogy. And most of the time the teenagers look at me like yada, 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 because that's so far away I can't even imagine. But right. but it's good to try to put pictures in somebody's head about what they're creating, what they're doing for their body. So bone strengthening exercises are important, again, because you're stimulating bone growth and strength. And what do you think those kinds of exercises entail? It entails some impact with the ground. Okay. Oh, sorry. I I answered my own question. I'm thinking. Okay. So bone strengthening to me means you're stretching, moving muscles because those muscles are going to require the bone movement to work with them. So in my head, I'm thinking uh, you're doing running or big movements or jumping or, and I'm just thinking about five, six year olds. They play a lot of tag. They play a lot of things. I don't know if they play hopscotch anymore. I don't know if that's a thing. I loved hopscotch. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) I was really good at it. But 
like jump is am I on the right track like that kind of stuff yes and what okay. do those all share what is what what do they have in common they, I, I don't know. You they all have that. in common that you're doing some impact with the ground. Yes. Okay. Right? I like that. Okay. So that means your body, I like to think of it as you're impacting the ground and it's sending signals to your body saying we need our bones to be nice and strong. Oh, I love that. That's, that's a really that's easy way to think about it. In a very non-medical way. I love it. Which is how I like to talk to our patients. Well, yeah. And even to you too. <laughs> I'm a pediatrician. <laughs> <laughs> that. It's important. So your body's getting these signals that you need them to be strong because they're getting impact. I like that. And so it tells your body, wow, we have to utilize that good calcium you're getting from your cheese and your your yogurt. Or and, your soy milk or, or your cashew or milk your or your almonds milk or, or your broccoli your or whatever you get it from. tofu yeah. or your, yes. Where so you get it from. So interestingly enough, many of the things cross over in terms of the types of exercise of what you do. So if you are doing some... Um, running or playing volleyball or basketball, you're getting aerobic activity and you're getting bone strengthening and you might even be getting muscle strengthening. So, like that. But what about the child that can't walk or has to walk with assistance or um, doesn't have as much independent mobility? Or has some, right, some developmental disability. Correct. Well, this goes back to the idea that there is some form of exercise that almost all of us can do, okay. whether it's independent or facilitated by a caregiver or somebody at school or a parent. So if we have kids that are in wheelchairs, mm -hmm. so they're not going to be able to play basketball in the traditional sense. But boy, they have para-Olympic basketball yes. players that are crazy And strong. there are all kinds of activities now that I think people are recognizing you don't have to be ambulatory. You don't have yeah. to have all four limbs working in order to, to um, participate. Kids in wheelchairs actually get really strong arms mm -hmm. and they get aerobic activity pushing themselves around. Mm -hmm. So if it's not all electric and the kids are able to do some degree of aerobic activity pushing themselves around with their arms and their upper body instead of their legs, that, that counts. Yeah. It's awesome. And water-based activities. I know. And hippotherapy. So yep. some of our patients also ride horses, mm -hmm. equine equine therapy mm -hmm. it's um it's uh helping them with their trunk what we call their trunk control or their core and they're um trying to figure out their spatial awareness uh but that's activity that that they can do and a lot of them are in harnesses so they can't fall off the horse i believe and uh you can play ball with somebody in a wheelchair mm -hmm. um I like that. I like all of those. Again, I, I've seen they can play basketball. You can do swimming and water activities. There is something. They can do resistance training with bands. They probably can do free weights. Um, yeah, I I, see I, I can't even, I'm not an expert in that. But I think if we talk to somebody who did physical therapy or occupational therapy, they probably have a lot of different things that they could list that somebody could do That's given different tip. restrictions. I like, so... The other piece of activity for me is rest. I'm very good at getting rest. You could say I'm an Olympic level rest taker. <laughs> but <laughs> what is the what is the good balance between rest and exercise? So it's interesting to me that the Centers for Disease Control is recommending the 60 minutes a day of exercise. Um, I do think rest is really important. And we have patients. Some of the kids are really, really involved in different sports. And they may train um, every single day for several hours. 
um, and or when they're in the midst of their club soccer or their club volleyball or their rock climbing. Um, and I think actually in that case, it's really important have to have a day off. I actually think you bring up a really good topic and, you know, it's a bit of a tangent, but we're seeing, it's not just us, but I think our orthopedic colleagues are also seeing a lot more children who are presenting with issues that we were used to seeing in adults, but at a much earlier age. And I, and I trace it back to an unintended consequence of Title IX, um, where both men and women can now participate in sports. And so you have more people in general playing sports. And I also think the level of competition has risen. And I also think there's more of an expectation in some families to specialize. Well, in this area, it feels like there's a certain point past which it feels like there's a real pressure to do better than anybody else or be bigger, better, faster, stronger, however you want to say it. Like there's or definitely maybe just to at least be successful. So correct. that means in sports that you are those things that you mentioned. Correct. Um, and then again, we go back to the what's the benefit of sports and there's more than just being better and then than your competition and and I'm going off on another tangent, but I think rest is important and you do bring up an important thing about competition and sports and I think this specialization early so that you're playing the same sport often at a very early age causes problems. Yes, there's so a lot of data. So we are seeing overuse injury like you said. Um, I'm happy to see things like in baseball that there's pitch counts Yep. Um, and that people seem to be taking those really seriously because if you don't and you get hurt, you have to live with that arm your whole life. Mm-hmm. And so it's important to recognize that things, guidelines exist because we're trying to protect you so your body is fit and healthy for your entire life. It, it's interesting. So back when I first started 20, odd years ago mm-hmm. I didn't see it wasn't that long ago <laughs> believe it or not um, I didn't see that many kids playing sports year round it seemed like they would play maybe one or two seasons and then take a rest and I really didn't hear about knee pain ankle pain foot pain as much and then I want to say somewhere in the last 10 or 15 years there's been this evolution kids like to play sports they're good at it it gives them a healthy sense of self-esteem. I think a lot of parents are worried that if their kids aren't in an after-school activity, they're going to find trouble. And so let's keep them out of trouble. Let's do exercise because it's good for you. But then you see these kids that are essentially playing a sport year round. Mm-hmm. And when you're in the growth burst years, like the 11 to 14 or the 8 to 12 or what have you, I'm seeing a lot more knee pain that can be traced back to Osgood Schlatterer, which is a fancy word. I don't know how you describe it. I just tell people it's this low-level inflammation from overuse. You're just constantly running and using that joint a lot, and you're not necessarily resting it as much. Right. What do you say? Yeah, and in, in some cases, um, we're seeing overuse injuries because you're just doing too much. But also, I think there's this combination of your body is growing. Yep. And your bones are growing and those tendons and ligaments are growing and they're not exactly where they're going to be when you finally are all done. So that combination of everything is changing a little bit with putting a lot of stress on it 
doing repetitive uh, exercise or movement. It's that combination. So the soccer player who's in lacrosse, who's in track and field, that is just, I know they're going to the get pounding, right? Yep. It would be great if they did swimming because that gives you a break. But then the swimmers end up with, they have shoulder, right? <laughs> they get shoulder injuries and then. But um, a lot of the overuse stuff is time limited. So once you're past the peak of the growing, that does get better. Right. The S- some of them, some of them. I mean, the big ones we see are Osgood Schlatter. Like you said, it's inflammation of the area. There's like a, there's a tendon where the your kneecap or what we call the patella attaches to um, the tibia, one of your leg bones, and it, it becomes kind of prominent it, and it pulls a lot and causes inflammation. Um, so Osgood Schlatter is something we see. And I, I pretty, I see it go away once kids are done growing. And Me it too. tends to it, be intermittent. Yep. But and when I, it's there, it can be super painful right. and it can limit your playing, which can be frustrating. I'm hearing a lot more heel pain or Seaver syndrome, which is, a similar concept, but just in your heel instead of your knee. Right. That's where that big Achilles tendon yep. attaches your calf muscle to uh, the calf muscle down to your heel bone. So, you know, we tell people to try to use a heel cup. Don't wear your cleats unless you're on the field because yep. kids sometimes think it's cool to wear my cleats yep. around. But once you're off the field to not wear them because that just is more injury to that area that's already irritated. And then that whole IT band, I've seen kids in ec- extreme pain where we're worried about a hip issue, but it turns out to be a super tight IT band, iliotibial band. Have you seen band that? syndrome. I have. And you usually t- see pain on the outside of the knee. Mm-hmm. Uh, another name for IT band syndrome is runner's knee. Um, and I'm seeing that more now yep. than I did before. That's So that's interesting. That means to me that some people are running more. This is something where you, all of these things, if it hurts, you should rest it. Yeah, you know, that's such <laughs> a simple um, principle, but it's so important. Because I, I know that I've talked to orthopedic colleagues who are doing knee replacements on 20-year-olds or hip replacements on 30-year-olds. And I'm not suggesting everyone who plays sports in middle school or high school is going to have this, but... I think the point is that the rest is, is also really, really important. And if you're doing something that hurts, you should rest it. That's your body saying, I need a break. Yeah, you need to pay attention. Yep. I see this a lot in dancers as yep. well, actually. So yep. not just um, people that are outside doing exercise. There's some, um, I know our orthopedic colleagues have talked about taking breaks. If you're specializing in a sport from that exercise, and I've seen different numbers in terms of how much of a break every year you should take. So if you're around the year soccer player, for instance, that you should take um, four to six weeks off of that sport. I've seen different numbers. I don't know if you've heard that. I haven't seen a consensus. Everyone tells me that it feels like four quarters, if you divide the year up into three part segments or a quarter, that four quarters is too much, that maybe three quarters or two quarters is the perfect amount. And that the remaining three months, if you can't take three months off in a row, then you sprinkle in four to six week breaks Mm -hmm. or um, something like that so that you're not doing the same intensity all the time. Now, if you are blessed with the type of athletic talent where you're going to go to the Olympics or you're you're really a high level performer, then I would follow whatever your trainer says. But this is for people like me who were not blessed with that kind of talent that I needed some kind of a guideline on how to manage rest and exercise. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. 
That's really fair. Because we're not, I'm not trying to bash competitive sports. There's not a lot of really good things that they do. Good sportsmanship, team dynamics, working with other people, getting together. Uh, It's all of those things are super important. Right. I think the other um, benefit when you're doing some sort of organized sport is that you do learn to be on a team. You learn social skills. Not everybody is going to be as good as everybody else. And hopefully the coach is going to facilitate um, everybody getting a turn and learning and being supportive of one another, at least in the early stages of a sport. Or in all, I would hope in all stages. like I would hope so. Know. I would hope so. I think when you get into the upper levels in high school where they become what they call cut sports and you have to try out, it's it, it gets a little bit more serious. But that should be the joy of sportsmanship. Mm-hmm. And, and early on learning that it's really about playing together and enjoying what you do. It's not just about winning and that you can be a good winner and also a good loser. Those are really important things that you can take away off the field. Actually, to piggyback off of that, there's really important data about resilience, and I'm not going to take up a lot of time with this, but the idea that you continue with the sport even if you're not the best at that sport or even if you're not improving. (laughs) And I I love the story of one of your family members that... (laughs) persisted with playing a sport <laughs> even though they weren't the best they were oh they weren't of, anywhere near the best they were kind of not so good at it <laughs> but they were going to go out there and play that sport because by gosh that's what they were going to do they i en- love that and they enjoyed it and, and they when they made it. one basket at the end of the year <laughs> on the last game i think the whole um auditorium stood up to clap right i mean that kind of resilience like i'm going <laughs> to stick with something because you have to stick with something. That's yeah. grit and uh, determination and resilience. So anyway, that <laughs> I love that story and I always get a giggle from it. Um, so I hope we've convinced you that you don't need fancy equipment. You don't need a trainer. You don't need to exercise all the time that you can start slow and then progress in your exercise regimen. And if you have really specific goals or objectives or if you have specific constraints, because you are an elite athlete, that it's important to get professional help with a trainer who knows what they're doing. Right. Right. That's fair, right. I think. And you want to make sure you're using all the appro- appropriate protective gear. So certain certain sports, like I know lacrosse, uh, you should, the girls need to wear eye protection. The guys have, the guys have helmets and pads and. Well, the um, girls should have helmets too. The girls should too. I'm Don't waiting Don't get me started that. on the helmet No, thing. I know the girls should too. I, I, it's, Yeah. It's a thing, but there are prote- there is protective gear. There are recommendations of what you should do. Uh, if you talk to pediatric ophthalmologists, they pretty much think anyone who's playing a game where you could get hit in the head with a ball should wear protective eyewear. So, so the helmet thing, concussions are a thing. Everyone's been talking about them. I know football gets a bad rep for concussions, but honestly, I've seen some terrible concussions in girls who play lacrosse or volleyball, volleyball or cheerleading. Soccer cheerleading so to me um it's less about isolating football as the bad guy and more about thinking about brain safety in general when you're playing sports so that's my that's my pump yeah there we could we we will probably dive into concussion a lot more at some point because there is a study that came out recently giving us the number one two and i think three sports where for both genders um, you'll have to stay tuned. Yeah, we're going to do that another <laughs> we're gonna time. Do that. We're going to do that another time. But, but I think being taking 
because um, there's so many other options. I mean, you nowadays, what is you can do Zumba and bar and H I I T and body pump and boot camps and step aerobics and jazz aerobics and yoga and there's all the martial arts. There's different kinds of yoga. Is that crazy right. hot yoga? That oh you, no, I'm never doing right? that. Right, never. I, but having, I I love. I think go for it if you do. Just stay hydrated. <laughs> oh, oh, it's it's a thing. Um, spin class. So there's so many different options that I think you can find one where you can still feel that joy of movement. The other question I will get sometimes from people is when can my child run a 5K or a 10K or a marathon? So what are your thoughts around that? Well, I never want to run a marathon. Meaning, let's but be clear kudos about to that. people who, who do. Amen, sister. I, again, I have family members that do, and it's amazing. I think for a 5K, it depends on the child and how strong they are and how athletic they are. If somebody has been sitting around and they're a big reader, which I love, but they hardly ever do anything, then just to get up and plan to run a 5K isn't realistic, but that's probably the case for any of us. I'd say when you get to double digits at 10, um, it would be okay for me. There have been different numbers shot around between 8 and 12 for like a 5K? I, I, I think it depends on the kiddo. If you've got a super active kiddo, like you said, who's a big-time athlete in any in any case, then I think I'm okay with as young as eight, to nine, eight or nine as long as it's been a regular part of their life. I wouldn't do more than a 5K in that age group. And Me I also too. wouldn't do a 5K every week. I mean, come on, people. I would do – it's a special – like a turkey trot 5K or, you right. know. Or your school fundraiser right. or exactly. something. Yeah. Um, I don't think I'd feel comfortable recommending a 10K until you were at least in high school or finishing up eighth grade. I feel the same way. I feel the same way. And a marathon, I think your body has to be done pretty growing. much done growing. And so for some people that could be 15, for some people that could be 20 or 18, you know, I think I think you have to be done growing. Yeah, a marathon is just a lot of stress. And we don't have enough good data that says that a marathon isn't going to change things. So there you have it. That's that's our opinion. So that's the distance of running. Um, I feel like we've talked a lot about stretching and rest. The other piece of this is staying hydrated, right? Because so that's important. a big thing. So how do you talk about that with, with people? Well, I think it depends on what you're doing, how long you're doing it, and what are the conditions. But especially if you're if you're in hot weather it the hydration part's really important you can lose up to two and a half liters of water during that's a sporting event that's so much water that's crazy (laughs) and and you've said this before once you're thirsty you're already behind the eight ball it's it's means that you should have started hydrating yesterday quite literally yesterday (laughs) (laughs) but in in all seriousness it's interesting there isn't a clear consensus about how to hydrate in pediatrics. I think adults have gotten closer to a clear consensus, but there's a big range, wouldn't you say? Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen it all depend on the weather. So if you're if you're playing three soccer tournaments in 100 degree heat, that's different than playing lacrosse in 35 or 40 degree weather. So it's just different. Yeah, that would be those people back east. Right. You know who you are. Sorry. Um, so. Right. Especially in. So it was interesting reading about extreme heat and how if you're an uh, an athlete that is going to be playing in really hot weather that you 
would benefit from training for a week or two in that environment. Yeah. Not everybody gets to do that. Right. But that you really should start hydrating four to six hours prior to play and continuing to do that every two hours during play. And one of the numbers I saw um, was six milliliters per kilogram every two to three hours. And that would mean for somebody, I was just doing the math. I was going to say, that's I can't eat hundred pounds. My eyes are trying to cross I know, that. I know. Okay. So for, some, right. for somebody who's 100 pounds, that would mean two to three cups of fluids. Fluid um, really means water. Water, starting, you know, four to six hours before play, and then you're doing that every two hours. Right. And <laughs> where is the role of Gatorade? Because Gatorade is this really cool. All the kids like it. All the kids like it. Because it's going to make me play like fill in the blank. Your well, and it's sports got player. sugar and salt and stuff. It's sweet. Um, I don't think there are very there. There really isn't a role for me for sports drinks in somebody who's just doing their regular exercise. I didn't find. I couldn't find a single resource that said you have to have Gatorade. Period. Full stop. Or any any sports drink. Yeah, we're we're not ragging on Gatorade. Right. Let's be clear. Whatever sports right. replacement for the the. The average athlete, I'm not talking about Olympic level or professional level. I'm just talking about the average ath- high school, middle school, grade school athlete. It's not necessary to have a sports drink. You can get the same bennies with just plain water. But if you're in an extreme weather condition or if you've got that team that just is going to not love you at all, if you don't provide a sports drink, then at the very least, cut it with water, right? So Yeah, I do at least one. half strength. Yeah. Exactly. And so. I'll do that for kids when they have hydration issues because they're sick too and they're right. not eating. Then I'll do right. half strength. But the bottom line Absolutely. is you got to start hydrating at least four-ish hours before the sport and continuing regularly during the sport. And if you're a 100-pound player, at least two to three cups of water. Every four to six hours before you start hours and then continuing every, every couple two hours. hours. If, okay. you're, if you're actively playing. Those are some... Good rules of thumb. Ideas. Yep. About what guidelines could could be. And then you had mentioned air quality in our last episode, but I think that's an important one to repeat. If you're if you're in an area where there can be times of bad air quality versus good air quality, then you shouldn't you shouldn't be running outside and your kids certainly shouldn't be exercising outside if it's poor air quality. And I have no problems with parents coming to me and saying, I need a note. I got no problems with that because, you know, if it's a, if it's poor air quality, none of us should be out there. What do you think? I, I think the same thing. And I've been in that situation where somebody's asked me about it, even for kids at recess. And unfortunately, there were a lot of fires in the last couple of years where near where we live. And if the um, county is saying you shouldn't be outside unless you have to, then I don't think the kids should be outside I for agree. recess either. I agree. So, um, so those are just some commonsensical things, I think, that you shouldn't feel bad about missing a soccer tournament if you're being told that the air quality is really bad and you should stay inside. So. so I think that was a lot of good stuff that we covered about ideas about how to get kids more active, um, even if it's playing outside in the playground or riding your bike or going to the park or I'm honestly for the four to six year old range most four to six year olds have energy to burn and they want to go outside and run around and play right you don't even need you don't need you just need to provide them with opportunities to move yep 
you don't even always have to participate. If it's raining, I mean, one of the things I like to do is I'd get, I'd get like beach balls that were blow up or soft or balls in the house or balloons, things that you could, for little kids, they could throw, but wasn't going to hurt anything. Super smart idea. And we used to do what I'd call dance parties. Ah, Now there's all these devices. You could just tell the device to turn on the music. You don't even have to go to the, love it. Go to do a tape or a, you know, a CD or anything. Right. Or or even gosh, a record, put the record on the record player. Record player. Well, now those are, those are hip and groovy again. Right. But, um, the dance party, I mean, and again, you don't have to do this for 30 minutes. You could do five minutes to your favorite song or 10 minutes and then you could do it later or your kids could do it. It's, these, I try to promote things that families can do together yeah. that are also active, especially when kids are little. And your influence as a parent is huge. It's so huge to set the tone for what they're going to want to do. They're going to want to copy you. Yep. They're going to want to copy their yep. siblings. So have them copy things that are good for everybody. And then you get to middle school and the wheels might come off the bus. Because like you don't want to go. Me, you don't want to do PE. The whole locker room <laughs> situation. So you have to keep pushing through that and then try to balance out that with other activities that might not be so horrible. The dance parties, walking the dog, um, yoga, hiking, hiking biking, it, yep, yep. maybe going to school with a bike or, um, you know, biking or walking to school. Yep. That counts. A lot of kids like hip hop now. So. Um, so you, you tossed in walking or biking to school where we live. That's a big thing. Yep. We lived through a time where no one was going to let their kid walk or ride a bike to school by themselves. And I'm really happy to see that that's changing. Uh, there are programs where parents can get together with schools to work out something to make it safe for the kids to walk. That has been shown to decrease accidents and actually make that safer for the kids. So uh, walking or biking to school is huge. It's a big thing. Right. And then by the time you get into high school, so there's a segment of our our patients that are athletic. They're playing some sport. So as long as they keep active, they're meeting that 60 minutes a day requirement with some combination of a team sport or a solo sport because some of our kids like, like we've yeah. mentioned, martial arts or mm-hmm. rock climbing or fencing or or they like kickboxing or yeah. something that doesn't necessarily require a team. And then you want to mix up muscle strengthening, weight with uh, aerobic activity, even in that circumstance. I find a problem sometimes with the high school kids or the later middle school kids where they're just not active. It's not something their their family does. um, And so it's not facilitated. So you're relying on PE. And some high schools have a requirement for the first year or two. Um, That's a problem because studies have shown that that when you're little, so nine-year-old kids, almost all of them are going to meet the guidelines for physical activity because, like as we mentioned, they're kind of naturally active, running around, climbing. I mean, we've all seen kids. It's just hard to sit still for a while. I, I still feel like that, but for little kids, I think. By 15 years old, only a third of the kids are meeting the guidelines on weekdays. So there's this huge drop-off when you start to hit middle school and high school for kids that aren't actively involved in sports. Or some, right. some and, physical And we activity. know that that's not a good thing for adults. So I hope we've given people a list of good ideas to try to help um, make sure that their kids are not part of the, the drop-off. Because once you get it in your head that you're not sporty or you don't like exercise, it is really hard to change that narrative in your head. And it's it just puts you at risk for all kinds of health issues later on. And 
the one the other thing as we we wrap this up we've really tried to emphasize the wellness part of exercise and how it's a positive impact on your health one of the things i think would we've intentionally tried not to do is to talk about exercise as a weight management tool per se then i think it just becomes a lot more complicated weight management in and of itself is a topic that deserves its own time but i, I don't want to feel like we're penalizing kids by making them exercise because of because we don't like their weight does that make sense right but there are some there are some things to mention about exercise and weight right well, one of the bennies i mean hopefully one of the bennies of a regular exercise program is the weight that you have to manage isn't isn't in an unhealthy range right if you're if you're always active to some degree right you're you're the, there are good studies that show that you you are more likely to have a weight that is within a healthy range. Well, you're increasing your lean muscle mass. Correct. And you're reducing your body fat, regardless of what your weight is. You're doing that. You're gonna, your metabolism is going to be faster. You're going to yep. burn more calories when you exercise regularly. Right. So it was interesting because you and I were just at the uh, um, American Academy of Pediatrics National Conference in New Orleans mm -hmm. with thousands of other pediatricians from all over the world, yep. which is always amazing to me. And we, as is New Orleans. As is New Orleans. Wow. What a great town. Yes. yes. What a great city. And we did hear uh, a one lecture from uh, Dr. Majumdar, who is from the Jacobs School of Medicine and Biomedical Sciences. And one of the things he told us is that exercise may be effective for weight loss, but only by a few pounds. So we're not thinking that you could rely on exercise alone. No, I love this quote. You cannot out-exercise poor eating habits. I just think that's great. You cannot out-exercise poor eating habits. It goes back to that trifecta of wellness we've talked about. You can't just do one thing. Right. And have your your triangular foundation needs all those three corners and to enable to in order to support your health. Right. So and so a quick recap. It's the sleep. It's the nutrition and it's the exercise piece of it that those three things are so important. If you're not doing those three things, it's going to be really hard to do anything else. I right. like that. Right. That's how is that for tying up some of the other things Love we've it. done? Okay. Well, um, so we, you know, I think again, we just want to start promoting physical activity at an early age. We should try to get people to do things that they enjoy. It makes it easier. And once it becomes part of your routine, your body's actually going to want to continue to do it. And then so they're going to ask you, would you like to go to the gym today? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to say no, but I have a bike at home and I love my bike at home and I love to walk my dog. I found things that I love. Good. Right. Good. And, Me too. And, and promote wellness. So on that so, note, everybody go out, find something you love. Go do, go move it. Go have a dance party. Go move it. All Don't right. make it competitive. Just <laughs> make it fun. Exactly. <laughs> and we'll, we'll catch you at the next episode. Bye-bye. Right, bye. bye. bye.